0: So, um, I, I obviously have a special guest with us this weekend, uh, Dr. David Wood is joining us, and so we're very excited that he's here, and um, if, you're, if you're not familiar, we, a few years back, we uh, had a speaker named Nabil Qureshi, and he came and he spoke, and he just really impacted our church, and, and he came, and he came about once a year for a few years there, and, and, um, and we, we we really liked Nabil, and so we said, "Nabil, we've heard your story. We've heard you came to Christ. Who is this guy who brought you to Christ? Like he's got to be a unique person, because Nabil was a new, unique person." And uh, and so then we found David, and David is the one that brought Nabil to Christ. And we're going to hear about his story and kind of how that all comes together, full circle. Um, and so uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be different. You've probably never heard a story like this before. And um, and if you are under the age of I don't know, eighteen. Earmuffs for some of it. Okay. Good morning. I can keep it to PG-13. I don't think. PG-13. I go okay. okay, if you're 13 or under, or have uh, the maturity Look, of a 13 and under.: under. This smallest water I've ever seen. Yeah, well. Someone left. Like, I'm a little guy. Half of this is yours? Yeah, it's mine, man. Okay. Cute little. That's like you beside me. Okay, okay. great. Okay. Give me that. No, you can finish it. That's fine. Great. Um, <laughs> I I, I deal with jihadis. You think I'm scared of a water bottle? Okay. (laughs) All right. So real quick, give us an introduction of who you are, where you're from, (laughs) a little bit of background.
1: Uh, I'm David Wood. Grew up in a West Virginia trailer park. Um, Went to a lot of different places along the way, but uh, we spent the last 13 years in the Bronx building a family there. That's where I I went to school up in New York. Um, I'm a philosopher. By trade, but decided to focus on apologetics because it's fun stuff.
0: Yeah, so um, if you don't know, apologetics is not apologizing for things. People think that that's what apologetics, no. It's a defense of the Christian faith, giving reasons and answers um, in regards to the faith. And um, you have a Ph.D. in philosophy. And then I found out law service. were you a teacher as well? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I
1: used to teach uh, philosophy of human nature and philosophical ethics
0: at Fordham University. At Fordham, okay, cool. So he's kind of smart. Um, <laughs> but there's been, uh, it, that hasn't always been your story, I guess, mm-hmm. and so let's start at the very beginning. Um, you said you grew up in West Virginia, trailer park, kind of a rougher upbringing, and uh, things got interesting from there on, right?
1: Mm-hmm. When you, when you go. How old? How old do you want me to start at?
0: Because uh, I've
1: got stuff for every year.
0: I know. Okay. <laughs> how about let's start with uh, your mom, your dad, and then um, maybe you, when you were like around five. Uh, yeah, mom and uh, mom and mom and dad
1: were an interesting couple. Uh, mom got pregnant when she was 15. Um, her boyfriend, my dad, was a drug dealer—not like crack back then, but like you know, marijuana and acid and pills and stuff like that and uh, he got caught um, while my mom was pregnant with me and uh, the the judge actually uh, eventually gave him the option of join the military or i'll send you to jail and so my dad joined the military and over time he uh he mostly he mostly cleaned up um mom not so much still still
0: uh still working with with mom yeah. And so you, you grew up in pretty, you know, it's a rough upbringing, but at five years old, you realize that there's something maybe a little bit different in you.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd had a dog named Goliath, and it's uh, just this raggedy little mutt, but I'd, I'd had this dog as, as long as I could remember. We'd go walking through the woods and stuff. He, he fought this giant groundhog once. Um, it, was, it was an epic battle. It should have been on like National Geographic, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, one day we were over at a friend's house, and my mom got a phone call. And uh, my mom turned to me with with tears in her eyes, and she said that uh, a Goliath had been run over by a bus. This dog uh, would always run right for car tires and attack them. Um, so one day he messed with the wrong with the wrong vehicle. It was a bus, and he died. And so my mom told me that my dog was dead. And all I could think was, "Well, so what? It's just a dog." And uh, my mom was crying over a dog and she hated my dog. And so she was crying. So I, I thought there was like something wrong with my mom, right, I'm five years old, I don't know a lot. I think something's wrong with my mom because she's crying over, over a dog that we all knew was gonna die. I mean, I was five and I knew it was gonna die. So I thought there was something weird about my mom until, you know, start meeting other people and that sort of thing just happens over and over again as you're growing up. And I realized that other people react in the same way when something dies. And so I thought it was like, it was like spreading, right. This problem is this problem is spreading, so this keeps happening over and over again, but um, you you learn to adapt as you're going along. so you see other people you know just sit there with their heads down and so you start doing that and adapting in that way and uh, yeah, so that's how, yeah. how I was growing up. And
0: so there was a time when you were a teenager, I think that that became pretty obvious that you reacted differently than everybody else. Yeah,
1: uh, up, in, up until I was uh, uh, I believe I was. 16, um, I f- uh, when I was thinking about why I didn't react in the same way, I always thought it was because, you know, I, just have, I have more common sense than everyone else and everyone else is stupid and I'm the only one that's being rational here. I mean, I mean, seriously, let me think, how much sense does it make? Oh, my dog died, let me cry about it. What, is your, what are your tears doing? What are they adding to the situation? Doesn't make any sense, right? So that's how I thought and uh, I, was, uh, I was in high school and my best friend, while I was growing up, um, Jimmy Lindholm died parasailing. He talked about wanting to go parasailing the whole time we were growing up. He finally got a chance and uh, his harness broke and he plummeted to his death. And I found out about just going over to his house to, to see what he was doing. And uh, I was told that by um, a man who was there and, and then I was, I was walking home and I noticed I just had the same reaction that I'd had when, when Goliath had died, and when, what, my same reaction that, that I'd had when anything would die when I was growing up, which namely, Uh, You know, so what? It's just, you know, he was gonna die anyway. Uh, But then I started thinking, you know, uh, maybe I should, maybe I should be having a reaction here. Seems like a situation where you should be, you should be bothered by the fact that you're never gonna see this person again. So, had to start rustling with that and trying to figure out uh, why it was was different.
0: Hmm. And so let's fast forward a little bit. What was the conclusion? That's oh, at
1: 18 years old, I was I was diagnosed as a psychopath, and uh, that that's uh, someone who doesn't form normal emotional attachments to other people. So you don't you're not bothered when when they die, uh, you don't experience remorse if you chop someone's head off. You don't feel bad about it. Uh, so, yeah.
0: So I got to tell you something kind of funny, um, not that that's funny, but. We were we were getting ready for service last night, and um, they handed me the mic to give to him. And so I was trying to help him put the mic on, and I was like feeding it through the back of his shirt, and it was getting stuck. And I'm like, "Can you feel? Can you feel that?" And he's like, <laughs> "He says, I can't feel anything. I'm a psychopath." <laughs> and I
1: just, I ha <laughs>
0: <laughs> ha <laughs> 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 ah, Doyle. Hey, Doyle! hey th- th-
1: th- things like that have happened over the years. Uh, one, one time, uh. uh I was, I was talking to two atheists one time and they were asking me, um, they, they, were, uh, they, were, uh, stup- they were in the biology master's program and so we were arguing about the existence of God and we're sitting there and I, I keep giving them different arguments, the design argument and uh, the cosmological argument. I'm giving them all these arguments and we, we've been in there so long, like the building had had shut down and all the lights were off and it was dark, and there's just this little emergency light that's out in the hallway, that's the only light. And these guys are sitting on the floor, I'm giving them all these arguments, and I'm standing up. And they say, no, tell us, tell us really. There's got to be more to it than that. So I went through my whole background, and then when I finish, they're sitting there, and they go, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you say is right. I, as long as you let us leave, yeah. you're right.
0: <laughs> so, um... It, all along the way you you're experiencing a few things, and there's like from what I can tell from your story about three strands that come together uh the first strand is this uh being diagnosed with uh being being a psychopath no feelings of empathy or or regret or guilt um and then you also have this next thing which is maybe not related but delusional thinking you'd mm-hmm. have these these moments of delusional thinking yeah uh they they were it, it, for
1: for for years they would last just a, a short amount of time, but uh, over time they, they sort of blossomed into uh, longer episodes. Uh, but the first one I remember I was I was about seven years old. I was uh, sitting beside a lake and watching these uh, fire ants march in this line and as I'm just sitting there watching and watching and watching it suddenly became perfectly clear to me that that ants actually control the world and they were actually smarter than us and had tricked us human beings into thinking that we were in charge and I mean if you can imagine how smart these ants must be if they had managed to dupe all of humanity uh, except one, me, that, that I, was, I actually caught on to them. Um, <laughs> and so that, 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 didn't, that didn't last a very long time but it's, it's weird because it's this sense of like it just becomes crystal clear to you that that's what's going on even though it's, it's, total, it's total nonsense. Um, and so it was ants at first, and then a couple years after that, it would be uh, like animals like, like cats and dogs. Uh, as long as a, a cat was acting like a cat, I was fine. But if a cat would turn and stare at me right in the eyes, I would think that it was like tr- trying to channel thoughts to me. And so I would sit okay. there talking to a cat.
0: I feel like I've had a moment where a dog would stare at me and then they wink kind of like, Oh, you're we're nuts, on dude. the same page. You you're not. <laughs> <Like>, yeah. <clears throat> Anyway, I didn't share that at other (laughs) services and I I remembered why just now. Um, And and, and yeah,
1: so so things like that kept kept going on and uh, uh, I mentioned last time that um, uh, by the time I was in high school, I thought I controlled the weather, but that I didn't know how I was controlling it. And so when it would rain or snow or whatever, I would stop to think what I had just done because whatever I'd done, that was what caused uh, that particular uh, kind of weather And so things like that, uh, when I would hear a song, every once in a while, I would think that like the song is a direct message to me somehow. Uh, I would read a book and think that somehow that book, which had been written, you know, a century and a half earlier, was somehow some message that was communicating directly to me. Uh, So, and and by the time I was 18, I had episodes where I, I thought that like everyone in the world was... Uh, performing an experiment on me, and that everyone could read my mind, and then I couldn't read theirs, and then I was, yeah, I was part of this uh, experiment that was going on.
0: So you experience um, this psy- 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 <clears throat> So she, what is the word I'm trying to say right now? Psychopathy. That's the one. <laughs> and then you experience delusional thinking, and then you have this third strand, which is, what I think is like a ruthless, Ruth, Ruth, wow, 1045. Go ahead. You're referring to my worldview. <laughs> yeah. I don't even
1: know what I'm referring yeah. to anymore. Uh, yeah, so, so growing up, I don't remember ever, like, believing in God. It uh, wasn't a real issue when I was younger, but, you know, when, by the time I was a teenager, I was, uh, you know, recognizing that I'm actually in the, the atheist category. But, uh, you know, most atheists can, can live perfectly normal lives, uh, if you're, you know, also a, a psychopath with delusional thoughts, you tend to go in a slightly different direction, but, uh, you know, w- without those emotional attachments to other people, it kind, of, it kind of frees you up in a way to just think perfectly clearly about, you know, the, the logical implications of your beliefs, and, and basically what you're left with is, you know, here's this, here's this giant universe, this massive universe, and our galaxy is just this, a tiny speck in that universe, and then... You know, you've got that galaxy and it seems big to us, but again, it's just a speck. And then our sun is an even more insignificant, more pathetic speck. And then there's, the earth is just this little tiny rock that's going around the sun. And then there are these little blobs of cells and blood and bones crawling all over it that that think that everything they do is so important. And it's just ridiculous, right? I mean, think about it. You're thinking about the, the grand scheme of things. Anything we do, is just completely ridiculous and insignificant. It doesn't matter what you do; uh, it's all the same. So you know, you've got a few decades. Might as well do whatever you feel like doing with a little bit of time you've got. And uh, that was that was my.
0: So I view. think this is a really actually logical worldview. If atheism is true, is there is no afterlife. There really is no moral law. There is no uh, objective human value and worth. And so. At the end of the day, do what you wanna do because Mother Teresa and Hitler are both ending up in the same place,
1: non that, that, that's, that's what I would conclude. I mean, if you're if you, if you're interested in raising a family and doing that sort of thing, then you know, do, do that. But if you don't care, why, why would you do that? Why would right. I wanna to conform to someone else's
0: pattern of, of living? Right, so pursue whatever you wanna pursue. And um, I was listening to a psychologist and they said, psychopaths either make uh, criminals or CEOs. They go, because they don't have any empathy, and so they're willing to pursue whatever their desires are and don't care who gets in the way and what happens. And so there's a movie from the 80s, Wall Street uh, with uh, Michael Douglas, right? And he goes in and he will just break up these companies, he'll destroy them, and he doesn't care who he hurts in the process because it's all about getting what he wants. And it doesn't matter if there's, you know, families end up on the street, at least he got what he wanted. And so there's this idea that, you know what, if this is all that there is, What's stopping me from pursuing whatever I want to pursue? And that's mm-hmm. kind of where you, where you ended up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you gotta have a, a moment where this becomes clear while the police are chasing you.
1: Yeah, yeah. so I was, uh, I was 17 and it was two or three in the morning and the police were chasing me in the middle of the night and they had me surrounded on three sides. So there's a, to give you a layout, there's like a street and then a, a hill that leads down to the railroad tracks and then another little hill and then a river. So they were in front of me on the railroad tracks and behind me on the railroad tracks and they were coming down the hill beside me on the railroad tracks that only left the Monongahela River. So the police yelled stop, I yelled no, and uh, jumped in the river. So I uh, swam across the river and the police, they didn't, sw- they didn't chase me through the water. They tried to cross the bridge and catch me on the other side, but I, I beat them across and uh, had to get as, as far away as, as quickly as possible. So I uh, started running up the hill and, I came out of a patch of woods and I was in uh, someone's backyard and I needed to, to keep going. But uh, uh, in, in front of me there was this, this big beautiful garden and I, I started to walk around this garden because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, but I stopped to philosophize and I thought, why am I, why am I walking around this person's garden? You know, I, I don't care about the people in, in that house. I certainly don't care about their plants so why am I being so courteous here? And it finally hit me that hey, even though I was already breaking the law in various ways, I was still following these little rules about, uh, you know, common decency and things like that and courtesy. And why? Why was I doing this? And I, I realized that I'd like been manipulated my entire life. Um, I'd been conditioned to behave in certain ways, and uh, I didn't like that. So anyway, as I stomped my way through that garden. Um, I got this this rush of freedom, like I would, like every step I was taking was, I was like shedding these shackles and leashes that, that keep us all under control. And uh, so that, that sort of started me on uh, basically uh, focusing more of my life on uh, ridding myself of all the pollution. In other words, I, I viewed it as like, you know, I start off and then people Manipulate you your entire life and condition you and pollute you and so how do you get rid of that? Well, you kind of have to do the opposite of what you've been taught until you are Finally free of that.
0: Yeah, so you're you're saying all right all these cultural rules that have been put upon me um, I don't believe any of them I think they're all ridiculous. They're in order to keep people in power in order to keep control over people And so I'm gonna just break all of these rules to show that I'm free to show that I can do what I want to do and so you came up with kind of what is breaking one of the more serious ultimate evil rules. Is that how you came up with this idea?
1: Uh, yeah, was basically I just I kept doing more and more extreme things, and uh, as I would do those things, I would feel like I was reaching some sort of higher stage of liberating myself from you know this pollution from these inferior. Uh, beings. Because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, after my friend Jimmy died and I started walking away thinking, why am I different? Uh, should I be, shouldn't I be feeling something about this? Um, wrestling with that and trying to figure out, you know, what, why, why am I different? Turns out there's an explanation. I'm a psychopath, but I didn't know that then. Uh, they don't explain that to you, so you have to figure it out on your own. And the conclusion that I drew from all of that was that I had simply evolved to a higher stage of humanity, right? There's regular human beings and, you know, these human beings have these traits, they feel emotions because they may have helped the species along in, in earlier times, but now we could uh, finally be free of that and uh, I had shed them. I had shed those normal emotions and things like that so that I could focus, you know, with pure reason. A guy who thinks that people are reading his mind uh, can focus on just uh, believing things based on, on pure reason. That's what I, that's what I concluded. And so that sort of, that sort of uh, amped up my concerns that inferior beings had somehow polluted me um, with their views. And so, uh, yeah, I kept doing sort of more and more extreme things and uh, I became convinced that the, the way to finally break free of everything was to, uh, to kill my dad. And so, I, uh, long story short, I, I got a ball-peen hammer and hit my dad in the head seven or eight times, left him for dead, and it was shortly after that that I was uh, placed in a psychiatric hospital, and that's when they, they diagnosed me as a, as a psychopath.
0: So this is the point of the story where I think a lot of people rightfully are confused because they're going, okay, did you have a fight with your dad, were you angry at him, was there some kind of, what, what was going on? Because for, I think most people, they, couldn't imagine just logically deciding, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm not angry, I don't dislike my dad, I don't wanna get back at him, nothing like that, this is just another way for me to break free of the societal constraints that have been put upon me.
1: No, there was, there was no anger, there was no fighting, um, uh, it was just, it, it had to be done, it was like the last thing, and after that, there's nothing to do, so I believe that I would do that, and that was it, and Then I finally I am finally completely free of, uh, of what I've been indoctrinated with all my life, and yeah.
0: uh, So this is this is actually uh, it, to people hearing it for the first time. This sounds wow. That's that's way out there, and it is. But there's been a train of thought, nihilistic thinking. You know, Frederick Nietzsche and mm-hmm. people like that, who they say, look, if if there is no God, there is no afterlife. All of these rules are rules that we have made up and put upon each other. Then do whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. right? And so you are just living out. That philosophy to the to the you know to the furthest extent.
1: Yeah, and 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 again, it's it's that's correct, right? If you think about where your beliefs about right and wrong came from, you're either hardwired in certain ways, right? Like biologically, your brain is wired to do certain to certain behaviors, and if that's the source of your your moral views, well, guess what? I'm not wired in the same way. I don't care. So why should I operate based on your brain wiring, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, So that's one way you're getting your your ethics. The other way, the other main way would be um, from society. Society just trains you in what's right and wrong. Uh, Problem there is, societies differ pretty widely on what is Appropriate uh, behavior and what's what's good and bad. Over here, we would be horrified if a brother uh, kills his sister for wearing the wrong clothes. There are places where that is completely normal and required, and the brother will say, "My sister wore the wrong outfit and walked outside in it. Uh, I have to kill her." And we'll walk right down to the police and say, "I just killed my sister because she did something. She, she did something that was uh, especially heinous." So uh, y- you can't y- you can't you can't get ethics from there and think that it's something that everyone has to follow. So notice, in, in either one of those cases, um, why, would, why would I have to follow what someone else says? Doesn't, doesn't make right. any sense.
0: So it was, it was the logical conclusion from your worldview. Okay, so you end up going to uh, a hospital and then to prison, mm-hmm. right? And you spend next few, five years, I think you said? Little over um, five, yeah. Going back and forth between the two, and you run into somebody who um, intellectually was ready to do battle.
1: Yeah, ran into a Christian in jail. And uh, you're wondering, hey, what was this Christian doing in jail? Well, there are all kinds of Christians in jail, but this particular <laughs> Christian, this particular Christian was uh, in jail for, because he turned himself in for 21 felonies. So he became a Christian and went and turned himself into police for everything he'd ever done. And they said, well, based on everything you've said, we got 21 felonies here. So he's sitting there in, uh, in, in the, the dorm that we were in. and. Uh, he was, uh, he was an interesting interesting fellow, he would just sit on there for hours a day reading his Bible and uh, there'd be a fight in the dorm and he wouldn't watch it, he would be praying that it would stop and things like that and one day I was, he was sitting on his bunk reading his Bible and, and uh, I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know why you're reading the Bible? You're reading the Bible because you were born in the United States. If you'd been born anywhere else, you'd believe in something else. If you'd been born in China, you'd be a Buddhist. If you'd been born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you'd been born in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim. Because people like you believe whatever you're taught to believe. And uh, that was kind of hypocritical, because as far as what I believed about the universe and how life formed and everything, it was just stuff that I'd been taught. Uh, and I believed whatever my teachers said. Um, so, it didn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, that's what I, uh, that's how I, that's what I said to him. And uh, Randy was, the first Christian I'd ever run into who actually put up a fight. Uh, so he started arguing, arguing back. And he had this habit of sort of questioning everything I would say, like, where, where'd you get that? Where, how'd you come up with that? And it was usually just, I don't know, I heard it. I, I heard it from a teacher at some point, right? And uh, that was, uh, th- that, that, it kind of enraged me because he was kind of exposing that as far as a lot of my beliefs, I had no basis for them whatsoever. I just, I just accepted them without, without question along the way. So uh, argument-wise, Randy kept defeating me and it was really, really upsetting me. I, I'm, here I am, the greatest, most advanced human being who's ever walked the planet, <laughs> and I'm getting defeated by a Christian who's so dumb, he turned himself in for 21 felonies, right? <laughs> and so I, I had to start like defeating him in other ways. I would, uh, I would uh, tell people he's gay. Um, his, I, saw, I saw him hugging his sister in the visiting room, like, oh, now I said some really nasty things about his sister, and he actually got mad, he got mad, and I said, look at you getting mad at me. You call yourself a Christian? <laughs> you ever met an atheist like that? Anyway, <laughs> so we kept, uh, th- that's how things were going along, and eventually we got into, uh, into a fasting battle. Uh, he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to battle me. Uh, I was trying to be stronger than he was. Um, so basically, Randy would fast for long periods of time, and I started fasting longer than he would. So uh, the first time, he went seven days on nothing but water. And I'd never fasted in my life, but I went 10 days on nothing but water, first fast, just to beat the Christian. So we kept going back and forth like that. He would fast a certain amount of time, and then I would fast longer. He eventually realized that I was, always, that I was trying to outdo him. Um, eventually, he went 40 days. He went 32 days on water, then did the last eight days drinking Kool-Aid, so fluids uh, to prepare himself for, for food. Uh, but he went 40 days and he told me that Jesus had gone 40 days. And so I said, all right, I'm going 42. <laughs> Even six weeks and I'm gonna beat you and Jesus. <laughs> so I was, on, I was on day 11 when I passed out in front of a guard and uh, <laughs> I busted my head and so they stuck me in a, in a camera cell. Right, it's a camera cell where, th- where they're watching you at all times, they thought I was, they thought I was trying to kill myself, right? They, so I, I'm trying to beat the Christian. <laughs> they think I'm trying to kill myself really, really slowly, right? So, <laughs> like the Slowest form of suicide. Anyway, uh, so I, but, but I was back there, I was back there, and I decided, you know, there's got to be an explanation for why this Christian keeps beating me whenever we have a discussion. It's got to be that he simply has studied more of this stuff than I have, and so I'm basically walking in there unarmed. And so, uh, while I've got time back here, I'll gather together uh, all the books. We've got an awesome library, awesome uh, chaplain's library as well. I can get all this stuff. I'll study all of this stuff and then go back to eBlock and destroy Randy. <laughs> that, was, that was the plan. Keep going, I'm fascinated, I'm listening. <laughs> Yeah, so I, was, so I was back there, and uh, I was reading all kinds of stuff at the time. I was reading, like, the, the Dialogues of Plato and uh, the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius and uh, the the, uh, the Golden Sayings of Epictetus and things like that, but I uh, was spending a good part of my days uh, reading the Bible and doing Bible studies, like with graded assignments, right? There are Christian ministries that for, that work with inmates and stuff, so I'm doing all these assignments and stuff like this, learning, learning the Gospel of John and things like that. And... Um, Eventually, three things really started bothering me. Um, you, you, you do a lot of fasting, and all of a sudden, you get, it, it affects you. It affects you mentally. You get these moments of, of like clarity where you're, you're thinking clearly, and that was, that was, that was weird for me. But uh, the, I stumbled upon the design argument, which I thought I invented, but I found out other people have, have <laughs> been talking about the design argument for years. But I was just looking at bricks that were stacked up uh, along the wall in the cell, and I'm just lying there, and I'm thinking... Uh, you know, if, if someone told me that these bricks went into this pattern or arrangement by some sort of natural process, I'd, uh, I'd smack them in the mouth for saying that. Uh, and yet here here I am, I believe that life formed on its own and, and life is, is way, way, way more complicated. The simplest life is vastly more complicated than some bricks stacked up. So. Uh, why, why did I accept the claim that life can form on itself? See, it's, it didn't convince me that God existed, but it started bothering me because, again, I'd I'm, I'm, become obsessed with, like, cleansing myself of indoctrination and things like that, and then I start realizing, wait a minute, there's, there are all these, like, fundamental beliefs that are part of my worldview that I accepted without question, and here I see there are actually reasons for questioning them, and I just, I just accepted them. Uh, so that started bothering me. Uh, that things look like that. That that you know, life seems to be designed. Uh, so that was one. Uh, the next was how the apostles died. When I read about how the apostles died, and basically they went to their horrible, bloody deaths, proclaiming that Jesus had appeared to them, risen from the dead. And the reason that was that was especially a problem was, for years I thought that I had explained Christianity. Um, I believed that there was Jesus, and he had followers. Jesus died and his followers came up with a plan for how they would keep his movement going. So if they claimed that he rose from the dead, well that's a good way to, to keep the movements going. you have something unique about your, your religion. So I thought they really liked their guy and wanted to keep it going and that's, that's what they came up with. Uh, so then I found out how they went to their horrible bloody deaths. And I started, I was trying to think of one person in all of history who died for something that he knew he made up. And I couldn't think of one person in all of history who made something up and then was willing to die for it. All kinds of people willing to die for what they believe, but that's the key. They have to believe what they're dying for. So the apostles, notice, are kind of in a different category from from everyone else here. Um, When a Christian today or a Muslim today is willing to die for his beliefs, it's it's based on a message that he heard. This message was shared with him. He believed it, and he believes it with such confidence that he's willing to die for it. So that doesn't make his beliefs... That doesn't tell you whether his beliefs are true or false. It just tells you he, he seriously believes what he's, what he's saying. But you can, you, can, you can understand where he came to his beliefs from. Uh, with the apostles, they weren't dying for some message that had been passed on to them. They were dying for something that they saw. And the question then was, what did they see? What did they see that convinced all of these guys that a man had risen from the dead and appeared to them? And, you know, if it had just been one, you could say, okay, maybe he, was, he, was, uh, he had mental problems, he was hallucinating, but when it's, when it's all of them across the board, then you've got a problem. Uh, what, di- what did all of these guys in all these different situations, what did they see that convinced them that a man had appeared to them risen from the dead? And I couldn't think of anything other than someone actually appearing to them risen from the dead. So there was that, and then there was a kind of, uh, a kind of moral argument. That's not a normal moral argument, but It was uh, basically, what I was saying earlier, you might have noticed a little inconsistency in what I was saying earlier. I said that, uh, on the one hand, I believe that, you know, you've got this big universe and we're these little insignificant blobs of, of cells and goop and everything we do is meaningless, and yet I also believe that I was the most important new stage of humanity. And those things don't go together, right? What sense does it make to say, hey, I'm the, I'm humanity 2.0, I'm the most advanced, most sophisticated, completely meaningless blob of cells. <laughs> it doesn't work, so you need, to, you need to kind of drop one of those, right? You, if, if, if everything is really meaningless and, and pointless, and there's no standard, then it makes no sense to say that I am, I am the most important human being in the world, and I'm the most, I'm the most advanced human being in the world. Uh, I don't have more meaning because of that. Um, so it, either meaningless, in which case uh, I need to drop my beliefs about myself. Uh, or or it's not meaningless, in which case there would have to be some sort of standard. And if there is some sort of standard, uh, w- what, would, what would that be? And how would I know how I, whether I matched up to it or not? And if, if there is a standard, and it seems like someone like Jesus would, would match up better than uh, I would, uh, according to, at least according to most people. So what, what is the standard? How am I aware of it? How do I know that I actually match up to it? So uh, anyway, long story short, I, uh, in a period of a, of a few days, I went from thinking that I was the best person in the world to thinking I was the worst person in the world. Once you start thinking in terms of, of standards and so on, by, by, what, by what criterion am I the greatest person in the world? I mean, I'm sitting in a cell, um, sitting in a cell for bashing my dad's head in with a hammer. I'm about to be sent to another mental hospital because I'm starving to death trying to beat a Christian. Um, I had gone from about 235 pounds when I was locked up to under 150 was absolutely pathetic. I would fall over if I stood up, and I'm sitting here boasting in my head about being the, the greatest person ever. That's, that's mental, right? I started start realizing that. And so uh, it's actually good though, because once you get in that sort of position, then you can start thinking, uh, you start thinking, wow, there, there are basically two options here. Either I am a horrible, horrible person and I just seem to be built this way and there's not a lot I can do because how am I I going to get better? I'm I'm a messed up, really messed up person. Uh, Either that's the way it is and I'm stuck that way or there's someone out there who can help with this sort of thing. And once you start thinking in terms of those options, either I'm messed up and that's just the way things are or there's someone who can help someone like me. uh, I'd say you're really, really close to becoming a Christian because when you look down through history and you say, who out of anyone in history, who had the ability to take uh, mentally shattered people and give them new life, you get a list of one. You get a list of one in all history. So the stories about him are either true, in which case there is hope, uh, or they're false, in which case there's no hope. So it became either, it's either Jesus or it's nothing, right? And uh, so m- m- me, me becoming a Christian was, was, at that moment it was just, What have I got to lose here? If I bow down and I pray and it turns out to be false, it's not like I've just gotten any worse. I'm still in the same situation, right? So why would I not try that, right? (laughs) Why would I not not, uh, try that if that's the only possible alternative to this? So I bowed down on my bunk and I said, God, I don't know if I'll believe in you tomorrow, but I believe in you right now. And if you can do anything with me, you are welcome to it. And so I prayed one of the uh, prayer that came in one of the Bible studies and uh, uh, sat up from that prayer and looked around and the entire world, which for me was just a cell and a bunk and so on, but everything looked different. It looked like everything had changed colors or something like that and uh, felt like I'd been fighting, like physically fighting, physically brawling my entire life to the point where that's the only existence I knew and that it, it just instantly stopped and uh, so that was uh, still had a lot of jail and prison time to go but I spent it uh, studying the Bible studying apologetics and uh, it turned out to come in pretty handy later on <laughs>
0: yeah so there is like so much more I got to hang out with them all weekend and, and ask them questions and there's so much more to the story but let me just see if we can highlight a couple really quick because I know we're, we're about out of time um, you, you get out of prison. By the way, everybody asked what happened to your dad, and you actually moved in with him when you were paroled, correct? Yeah, that's
1: where I paroled to.
0: Yeah, and he
1: was good. Yeah, yeah. He, he knew I was a little off <laughs> when I was growing up. So that's an understatement. And he knew um, I was getting better, so you know.
0: Okay, uh, so you move in with him. You go to school, go to college, start studying, and you meet a friend of yours or a friend of ours.
1: Yeah, Nabil. We uh, we met in a we met in a hotel room. And uh, we were on a school trip. We both joined the uh, speech and debate team. That was, that was one of the coaches for the team. Notice, before anyone had heard of me and Nabil, this is when Nabil was still a Muslim, uh, we gave our, our coach uh, an autographed picture of, of us. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they gave it back, because you, <laughs> you No, have she it. still has it. She sent me a scan of it. She oh, sent okay. me a scan. Okay. She okay. still has it. Okay. And uh, so, uh, so, yeah, so we, we met uh, on the, the speech and debate team, and... Nabil was uh, on the trip and he was uh, putting away his prayer rug and I was reading m- my Bible in a year and I kept noticing him sort of glancing over at me and so I was praying. I said, God, if you want me to talk to this guy, please let him start it. <laughs> if, you, if you start talking to a Muslim and saying he's wrong or something, you get, you know, that's a hate crime nowadays. And, uh, so anyway, please let him start it so if anyone messes with me, I can say, hey, he, he started it. Um anyway shortly after that prayer uh, Nabil said, "So, are you a hardcore Christian?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And that's how that's how
0: conversation got started uh with Nabil. And so you guys ended up arguing for the next 4 years. Yeah. Um and which caused you to not only you had already spent years looking at the Christian faith, but now you're looking at uh the Islamic faith and studying that and learning about it in order to kind of
1: No, it was fun because you got someone like Nabil and he's a uh, he had a similar—he had a similar situation where he had uh, tried arguing with Christians over time, and they would always tr- sort of try to back—they would back down, and so I was kind of the first person who really just long term. But it was funny because you know I'll sit, i was sitting there just letting the deal just tell me everything he believed, and I would say, "Okay, yeah, tell me more." Well, what do you believe about this? And, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, "Dude, you have no idea where I come from, man." <laughs> You have no idea what I just been through. You, anyway, so it was funny, but uh, no, we, we became we became uh, we became best friends. It was uh, awesome times.
0: So, in one of your arguments, you also had uh, uh, somebody come along who was important.
1: Oh yeah, we were. Nabil and I were arguing about the resurrection, and a uh, young woman came up and started uh, arguing with both of us. And she she came up and said, "You're both right." And uh, that was confusing. So we, we both turned on her, and we're like, what, what do you mean we're both right? Like, I'm saying Jesus rose from the dead. Nabil's saying he didn't rise from the dead. Those are the only two options here. One of us has to be wrong. Under no circumstances are we both correct. <laughs> and it turns out that, that she was um, an agnostic, but like a... a friendly agnostic to, you know, whatever you believe is true for you, so that, you, you believe that, that's true for you, Nabil, and you believe this, and that's true for you, David, and uh, so we, Nabil and I were then both arguing with her, and it turns out she wasn't as nice as she let on, and <laughs> she was someone who, like, would make her point, and then as soon as you start making your point back, she starts laughing at you. Uh, anyway, we, uh, yeah, we started, we loved
0: arguing so much that we, uh, we eventually got married. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she was not a Christian, but within two weeks—yeah,
1: she was. She was. She was an agnostic, but it was really cool. So we started arguing, and uh, and guys. So so this is this is an important point for you young people. Uh, apologetics can help you get the uh, husband or wife of your dreams. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Perfect.
1: I like No, the seriously. Part. I mean, you meet someone, and they're like exactly what you like in every possible way, except they're not a Christian. What are you going to do? Apologetics, right? <laughs> hey, hey. Hey, girl, we need—we got some reading to do, right? So, no, it was actually cool. I would—I would give her a book. I would give her a book, and she would go home and read it, and then she would come back the next day ready—ready ready to argue. And to start off, I think I gave her a, a more than a carpenter at first. She came back and was 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 telling me how dumb that was, and uh, gave her uh, C.S. Lewis's *Mere Christianity* next, and, and she came back and argued about that. Um, the, after that, it was *Case for Christ*. She came back and argued about that. And we kept going, she read five apologetics books, and um, we'd gone through all of these, and she was arguing, on, and, and we, were, we were sitting there, we are arguing about the, the most recent book, which, which was about um, design. And we're sitting there arguing, we're going back and forth, and, and she just, she breaks down and starts sobbing. And I was thinking, gosh, I didn't know I was being that much of a jerk. <laughs> I know I have that, that effect on people, but I didn't know I was being that bad. And uh, later she told me, she said no, she said, she said I was sitting there arguing, And I realized that I was wrong. I Mm. realized that that I built my life upon things that were just false. And so, yep, she became a Christian. So
0: I wish we could have more time because I would love to talk about uh, your marriage and and about your kids. But I think we have a picture of, uh, yeah, there's you and your wife and some of your kids. (laughs) And uh, you've spoken a little bit and we don't have time to get into it, but a couple... Uh, your couple of your boys have special needs. Yeah, two and
1: two of the five uh, have a have a rare genetic muscle disease called yeah. myotubular myopathy that keeps your keeps your muscles from working. So yeah, yep, they need some help with uh, machines and stuff.
0: Yeah, um, so I asked you before uh, service if you had like a takeaway, something that you wanted people to walk away with and, and hear, and I thought you had a great answer.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, I think a lot of Christians have ab- absorbed a sort of. Um, Billy Graham crusade mindset with evangelism that you know you, you preach the gospel and people who are ready to accept it come forward. And that that tended to be really effective in in America because, you know, years ago, the, the general population, they they believed in God, they believed in the Bible, they believed in Jesus, they just never made any sort of commitment. So you run through the gospel with them, they already believe it, right? It's just what are you waiting on? Give, give, make a commitment. And now we're kind of in different times but we can still have that mentality of, hey, you know, you're not believing, so you're just, you know, you're stubborn. I'm saying that because uh, people were, Christians were telling me uh, that about Nabil when I was spending years talking to Nabil. They were saying, David, are you sure you should be spending years of your life devoting so much of your time talking to one person here? Think about all the other people you could be reaching with the gospel and you're spending night after night talking to this one guy. Um, who's obviously stubborn and hard-hearted. And uh, that was kind of, uh, kind of wasn't an option for me to give up because, I mean, like people had said the same thing about me when when, when I was an atheist. I, I, uh, when I was in jail after I became a Christian, well, when I was in prison after becoming a Christian, uh, I started writing letters to people that I'd done bad things to over the years. And one of them was a, was a Christian. And uh, so I wrote her a letter telling her that I was a Christian now and so on. And she sent me, uh, a letter back, and she said, it's the last time I ever communicated with her, um, uh, she said, uh, hey, uh, I used to pray for you, and then I realized that I was wasting my time. And she said, uh, so um, if, if you're a Christian now, I'm really, really glad for you, uh, hope you have a good life, uh, unless you're just lying to me and trying to manipulate me, in which case, please never contact me again. And so, this is someone who <laughs> I'm telling her I'm a Christian. She's still, no, I have no idea whether to even trust this guy, anything he's saying or not. Um, but that idea of, hey, you know, you don't, I'm just wasting my time with this guy. He's obviously, obviously messed up. Um, so, th- that was the situation with Nabil's. No, no, he's not, he's not, obviously not worse off than I was. So, if he keeps coming back, if we keep having these discussions and I keep, you know, making my own points and I offer refutations of his and he keeps coming me back, coming back. Um, that, that seems like the spirit drawing him. So what's the time limit there? I don't care if it takes four years, 10 years, 20 years. Um, I believe the spirit is drawing this guy. And so,
0: Thanks.
1: yeah. So anyway, the, yeah, the point is if you've got someone who's uh, stubborn and seems hard-hearted and so on, uh,
0: yeah, people change, so keep at it. That's awesome. Cool. Well, you guys thank David for being with us here this weekend. Cool. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for him, and, uh, and then we'll get going. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for David and his story, um, because his story is a reminder that there is no one who is uh, too far away from you, that they can't come back, that you can't draw them, that you can't uh, love them and, and forgive them and use them in some really profound and powerful ways. And so, Lord God, um, we just thank you for uh, people like David and people like Nabil and uh, the lives that they have impacted, that you are a God who redeems and um, even uses those things that may have been meant for evil, for good. And so, Lord God, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.